Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Ducky. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hey listeners, before we jump into today's episode, I just want to give you a little background that our podcast is about as low-tech and DIY as it gets. We don't have a recording studio, it's usually just me and a little tiny lavalier mic and my iPhone, which is a 5C, which for those of you who are iPhone uh, aware know I'm two numbers behind the current model. So with that, I just wanted to let you know today's episode, I went on the road, uh, about two miles down the road actually, to our guest's house, and there are a couple sounds happening that we didn't have a lot of control over. So you might hear a wall heater or a teacup clink. Uh, We did our best to edit those out, but there may be times when you're like, what is that sound happening? So that's what's going on, and thanks again for tuning in and listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While loss is something we will all experience throughout our lives, when it occurs, most of us are left not knowing what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations lead to a better understanding of grief and also give you some ideas and inspiration for how to show up for yourself and those you care about. Joining me today is teacher, speaker, and psychotherapist Megan Devine, who has been stirring up our culture's ideas around grief and loss since 2009. Megan came to this work in a new and very personal way after her partner Matt drowned while swimming in a river. Megan is the author of the book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Leading Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand, which is coming out in September of 2017, and you're definitely going to want to pre-order this, so I'll include a link to how you can do that in our show notes. Megan's known for her practical, no-nonsense approach to grief, which will definitely come through in our conversation today. So thanks, Megan, for being here today. Thanks for having me. I know this is your um, round two on Dear Dougie. For those of you who are longtime listeners, you'll be familiar with our first episode we did where we talked about one of the shadow topics, I'd say, in grief, which is dating again after somebody has died. Uh, And today I asked Megan to come and talk with us about another part of grief that I least for me, it doesn't seem to get a lot of attention. And if it does, it quickly gets shoved aside. And that's anger. Yeah. When I ask people in a presentation, like, well, how do we stereotypically think of grief? We get sadness, mm-hmm. isolation, crying. And then eventually, right at the end, someone says, what about anger? And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. What about anger? Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I kind of like that, you know, for round two, I'm talking about another thing that we don't like to talk <laughs> about. There's sort of this hierarchy in there, right? Of Like, as a culture, we don't like to talk about grief in general. But if you're going to talk about it, let's talk about the sadness and the loneliness you certainly, certainly can't talk about you know, dating and sex and the things we talked about in round one. And then after that, you really, really can't talk about anger. And you certainly can't talk about rage. Mm-hmm. But all of those things exist, and they're healthy, and they're part of it. I love to talk about the anger inside of grief, because it's one of those things when you start talking about it, people visibly relax. In what way? Um, I think we relax when we when we hear that we have permission to say what's actually true for us. And here as a culture, we don't do anger 
in general. It's sort of seen as one of those dark, unevolved emotions, and certainly women aren't supposed to show anger. It's not feminine. So we've got sort of a gag order on anger in our culture to begin with, and then you take that and you put it inside sort of the taboo topic of grief, and it goes even further underground. Talking about it goes underground. Mm -hmm. The anger itself doesn't go anywhere. So I think, as with so many things, when we start talking about the reality here, people hear that, oh my gosh, what I'm feeling actually has a name and it has a place and it's healthy and it's okay to talk about it. That's, that's where I see that exhale. Okay, I don't have to hide this anymore yeah. from myself or from others. And the, no longer have to hide it. And so I'm not the only one mm-hmm. who is not only has anger, but is hiding it. it seems to bring a lot of relief in, because, you know, we watch grief in the movies and we read about it in a book and pretty rarely does anger get any kind of attention except for very specific types of death. I feel like if, it, if someone was murdered, then it's like, okay, of course, anger is going to be part of this. But if someone died in another way, we don't talk about being angry, except if there's somebody we can maybe think is responsible for the death we can have some anger that's a little bit more accepted Mm -hmm. but the part that seems to come out the most is like I'm kind of pissed at the person who died what do I do with that so there's a lot in there right like I feel like as long as as long as we can justify our anger it's okay as long as you're actively leaving it behind right there's a lot of qualification around anger even even in those sort of what we would consider unjust deaths you have to push through that one really quickly because it's not a not a healthy place to be. I understand your anger, but you need to get beyond it. One of my favorite, favorite teachers used to say that all feelings are a response to something and anger is a response to injustice or a sense of injustice, right? And we do see that in those, um, you know, the deaths that occur um, because of negligence or drunk drivers or distracted drivers or medical negligence, all of those things. There's also you know, what I call those out-of-order deaths that these things that we think shouldn't have happened, that there's a sense of injustice there. And some people do feel angry at their person who died. We try to make logical sense of this, like, like, why should I be angry at them? They didn't ask to get cancer. They didn't ask for this. Well, sometimes we're just pissed off at the situation or pissed off at, I can't believe that they went skateboarding without their helmet. There's a lot of anger in there and it makes sense. We don't have to make it fit into any logical storyline. And from what I hear so often, it you know, we have this anger kind of at the ethers, uh, you know, of like, how could this situation occur in my life? Why me? Why us? Why not other people? And that's hard to hold, right? Because you're sort of at, you're mad at like the air molecules. And like, exactly. There's nothing to do with that. And yeah. so sometimes it, it just makes sense to me that you would get angry at the person for doing an action that maybe you think contributed to their death or an action somebody else did that contributed to their death. Yeah, and I think we see that culturally as well, or very often I'll talk about the comments section. So Matt's, the only quote-unquote news story I read about Matt's death in the comments section, well, the article itself actually blamed him for his death for not wearing a life jacket to go swimming, which what grown-up wears a life jacket? I do, um, just because I'm terrified of the water. But <laughs> just, Well, you know, the work that we do, like, it's we see the potential for accident and, and certain death everywhere. So there's sort of a job hazard. Yeah, I kind of want to wear a bike helmet, a life jacket. And At all times. Suit and walking down the grocery store. Right, out. right. And, and wrap yourself in non-conductive materials, like everything, like everything can kill you. But the comment section under that article, for the most part, blamed Matt for his death or blamed me for forcing him to go in the water, which didn't happen, um, and called both of us incredibly stupid for not knowing better. So... 
I would say a good three quarters of the comments under that one article that I read were angry and blaming one or both of us for the accident. I think honestly, like that is the way that we manage the uncertainty of this life, right? Like that person did something wrong, they screwed up somehow. And so as long as I am not them, I can make sure that I'm safe. This person's accident or illness or whatever, like brings up that how not in control we are. And that doesn't feel fair, right? Because we, we like things to make sense and be logical and fair. And this life is not like that. And of course we're angry. And we don't like not having an outlet for that anger, so we choose something. It's almost like all of that energy of that sense of injustice needs a target, and not finding one actually makes it harder, right? And so you ask, like, how do we hold that? Well, the first thing is acknowledging that we're angry, right? Like, the, the question is not, um, how do I make this anger go away, but more, how do I support myself inside it? What do I do with this? And I wonder, too, as you know, as we're growing up, as we're kids and we're socialized to understand our own emotions and figure out what to do with our emotions or what not to do with them or mm -hmm. how to be with them. It feels like anger is also one that we don't get a lot of training or education mm -hmm. in at all. And, and so when it comes up in grief, we don't have a lot of muscle memory for what to do with this emotion. Yeah. Um, so I wonder about that too, of sometimes just looking at getting stronger in tolerating and withstanding and being with certain emotions is a huge part of huge. what happens in grief. Yeah. That's something you can do as prep work too, right? Not just in grief, but in everyday life. Flexing those muscles, building that skill in how do I tend to myself when I have some big emotion rolling through me? What do I do with this? You know, maybe you'll never need those skills in something as pervasive or devastating as grief like this, but maybe you will, right? But there are millions of injustices in the world every day. How do we deal with those? How do we deal with um, anger and outrage? And how do we do that in a way that makes change happen where it can happen? And another one of my favorite teachers talks about anger can be the fuel that warms your house or it can be um, something that burns down the whole world. The difference there is containment and skill and honoring very real and justifiable anger and finding ways to channel that and tend that and care for it so that you don't suppress it and then have it shoot out everywhere else and burn things down that you didn't mean to. And that's what happens when we don't allow emotions to have their their space, their right to exist, and their expression, right? That's true with any emotion, but I feel like especially anger because there are so many ways and so many places that it gets shushed. And if we can use our anger in ways that either um, express something for us personally or help us change things in a wider culture, then that's an awesome use of anger. Anger is actually really healthy. If we don't do that, then it turns into outrage, which just doesn't really help do anything. It's not constructive. It's not useful. And I say all of this, and I, I don't mean that when you're angry, you have to do something useful or constructive. I have a, a lot of clients and readers whose deaths of their people happened by medical negligence or by drunk drivers or murders. This idea that many of them carry that, you know, I'm so angry, I, I know that I'm supposed to do something to change the system, and the thought of that just exhausts me. Using and honoring your anger is important. The form you choose for that is completely up to you. Like, you don't have to take on the medical establishment. You don't have to start something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. There's nothing you have to do with anything. So in other words, we, like, we don't want people to walk away thinking, oh, I have to add anger to my grief to-do list. Yeah, that's right. Now like, I'm angry and I have to like make sure I do this and go change the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do that, that's great, but that's it's not a requirement 
for being with your anger yeah, exactly. utilizing it. Yeah, that's the thing is like, here's an option. Revolutionizing the world should not be one more thing on your to-do list. Anger is normal and healthy and using it as fuel. Some people take up running, some people do kickboxing. Like it's important to, um, to do something that feels like honoring that anger. The key piece here is to, um, to start listening to your own anger, knowing that it's healthy and normal and doesn't have to be rushed or silenced or pushed through. As you're talking, I'm thinking too that anger and anxiety are often pretty close buddies mm-hmm. in grief. And, and anxiety is another part of grief that people seem to be totally taken off guard by. Like, I didn't know this was part of the situation. Yeah. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit, if you have a sense of like, what's the interaction or the mm-hmm. connection between anxiety and anger? Mm-hmm. How do you see that show up? In the, in the sense that oftentimes the anger comes out and not underneath the anger, because I don't like to think of anger as being something that's covering something else up, mm-hmm. but the, the, the spark sometimes is the fear. You know, as people responded in the comment section of the article of, I'm scared that this could happen to me, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be really mad about what you did or didn't do. Yeah. And, and it's, it happens so quickly, I think it's hard to, to even feel or hear that fear underneath that anger. Yeah, that's a really good point. On one hand, we don't talk about anger, and on the other hand, we're so quick to outrage. Right? that there is that spark of a fear in there or a spark of uncertainty, understanding how not in control we are. And instead of really allowing that fear in and giving it space and saying something, we do often jump right into an expression of anger, which is outrage or condemnation or judgment or you know, for ourselves or for others. You know, when I hear in our, our groups, there tends to be kind of this in and out crowd that mm-hmm. can occur, you know, when someone dies, there are those who are in who get it and those who are out and don't. And anger seems to be a big part of that conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. So if we angry at, at what happened, we mm-hmm. angry at maybe the person who died or someone who may have contributed to that death in some way. Sometimes we have a lot of anger at ourselves for what mm-hmm. we did or didn't do. And then there's the anger that can come up with other people and what they're doing or not doing. Yes. And how do you think the, that other rising of people mm-hmm. in, in grief can play out? It's such a huge topic, right? Like the... Um that whole experience of the the grieving people and the people on the outside, sort of the bystanders or the onlookers, right? And your support teams and how they can't, they don't seem to get it and they don't understand. And it doesn't matter how many times you explain or describe what's happening for you. They just, they don't get it and they can't get it. And that does bring out a lot of rage. There's that backlash when somebody who's grieving is saying like, you know, what you're saying to me right now isn't helpful or can you believe the crap that this person told me? Like all of those platitudes and the dismissals. One of the things that can happen for grieving people is they, if you say anything at all about how, you know, that comment that you just made about them being in a better place does not help me. There's a backlash very often of like, well, I'm just trying to help. That person's intentions are good. You need to cut them some slack, which to me is erasing the grieving person's reality. And anytime we have our truth and our reality erased, we get angry. That's normal and it's healthy and it makes sense. And how can you use that anger then yeah. to, to, as you talked about that concept of anger as fuel, and I always think of anger as being really catalyzing, mm-hmm. right? It's like a good indicator light that something has been violated yes. in some way. Absolutely. Whether it's your emotional boundary or your emo- intellectual boundary, something has been violated. And what can you do with that? Not to get rid of the anger, right. but to address boundary violation that has yeah. occurred. And does that mean speaking up and saying, that's not helpful for me? Or writing someone a letter later and saying, here are the... Yeah. I know you really want to be supportive. Here's the three things you can always go back to saying. If you have nothing else to say, say one of these three things. (laughs) This is in the safe zone. Yeah. 
anytime we take an action out of a feeling, so we're going with anger here, it's not about erasing the anger, it's about what do I do with this? What action is needed? Um, what's, what response is called for here? One of the things that I remember from my very, very early days, the first couple of months, I had really just beautiful, lovely friends in my life who had great emotional skill, but I always resented it when they were like, tell me what you need. How can I help you? I, like, I feel like I'm going to say the wrong things. Can you please educate me? And asking a grieving person to use their very, very limited energy and resources to educate others is sometimes asking too much. Now, is that fair? No. It is our responsibility to help others understand. At the same time, it's also true that putting that burden on the person in pain is really not fair either. Especially when that person in pain may not know what they want. Exactly. But until you try something and they're like, nope, it's not that. That is yeah. not what I want. Right. Thank so you for telling me. The whole thing is frustrating, right? Like everybody's angry. So this person is angry because their person died and the support that they have is really kind of crappy. And these people are angry because they're trying their best to help and it's not good enough. Nobody likes to be told it's not good enough. Once we just acknowledge that that's what the situation is, there's something that eases. There's also, um, you know, what we were talking about before is what do you do with your anger? Well, you might choose to um, start talking about things. Personally, and for a lot of the people that I've worked with, it's a lot easier to give sort of a polysyllabic smackdown to somebody who's not close to you in your life. If somebody, um, if somebody sort of in your periphery says something rude or dismissive about your grief, I always find it a lot easier um, for those non-intimate people to really like let them know what they've said, why it's not helpful, and what they need to do better in the future. And I like will be blunt and direct about that stuff and will not care about being polite as long as the person's not in my actual life. Mm -hmm. If they're in my actual life, I'm probably just going to avoid saying anything. And Such an interesting contradiction that you've just you've spent time and energy providing that education to someone who isn't close to you. Like yeah. you've given them a gift in a sense, like yeah. here's why that didn't work. And then maybe in the future, they'll be able to use that. Yeah. But then for the people we're closest to, we're yeah. like, I'm really sorry. I cannot give you that gift. It's too, yeah. too scary, too hard to whatever it is. Yeah. For people who are intimately in your life, you have to deal with the fallout of that. And with people who are sort of on your periphery or the, um, you know, the bank teller who says something really rude about your dead husband, you don't have to deal with the fallout there. So I think that's pretty cool in a way because we it gives us a chance to practice being clear and direct. Pre-apologies to anyone listening who works in the service industry because you <laughs> might be on the receiving end of this practice round <laughs> of setting our boundaries yeah. and our grief. Yeah. I think too about what the people we're closest to, there's this expectation, spoken or unspoken, that they're going to know us. So they should know what to do or mm -hmm. say. Versus a stranger, we might give them a little bit more leeway. And in the end, you know, grief changes us so dramatically that in, at times we're not the same people that we were. And we're learning about ourselves and the people who are close to us are learning about us. So there can be this whole curve of trying to figure out who we are, and, but we still have that expectation that the people closest to us are just going to get it. And why do I have to tell them? They should yeah. just know. Yeah. So there's that irritation and sense of injustice. In some ways, all of that stuff is true. The people closest to us, like, show me that you know me. When you're witnessing somebody you love in pain, draw on what you know of them because they probably won't be able to articulate exactly what they need. They don't know. They haven't done this before. But you can, a good starting point is to draw on who you know them to be and what you know of them. I remember um, somebody I didn't know well, uh, a couple weeks after Matt died, insisted that all I needed to do was go out dancing because that was what happened, helped her after she got divorced. 
at that point in my life, I was not a person who went out dancing. And so to suggest something completely out of character as a way to solve the pain that I was in, really a miss on, on a lot of different yeah. levels. Um, so yes, do draw on what you know of the person. And at the same time, this is new territory. I know that after Matt died, I told everybody what happened, which was very out of character for a very introverted self. So, you know, if you're in pain, I might be like, so I know that you need a lot of alone time. Is that still true for you right now? Right? And remembering that none of us have usually done this. And certainly even if we've had experiences with grief before, we haven't experienced this loss before. Every loss is different and ask into it, right? And by ask into it, I mean, if you're the grieving person, you're feeling like they should know me better. Well, yeah, they should. So what do you want to do about that then? Do you want to say something about it? What do you want to do with your sense of injustice? I feel like that um, diffuses a lot of those really intense big things because some of that is just that frustration that there is no action to take. There's nowhere to go with this. It's just an unjust situation inside an unjust universe. Right, and it's such an infusion of energy and yeah. without that outlet that can feel very overwhelming. Yeah. For sure. And you know, I think you and I have talked about this multiple times and possibly even on our in our last episode of how, you know, a lot of what our job is in supporting people who are grieving in a in a professional sense is providing permission and allowance. Absolutely. This is and it makes me think of your book that's coming out, you know, because mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about try not to put the pressure on the person who's grieving to educate you about grief. And that's why you exist and I exist. Yeah. And the work that so many other people around the, the world are doing around grief is for people to read what you're writing. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit, a little yeah. preview about your book that's coming out? I'm so out? excited about this book. Um, there's actually a whole section in the book about rage because it happens so often. And, and again, like it's that validation and that normalizing. So much of this book is telling the truth about the reality of grief. Because when we do that, then we do get to see our own experience reflected back to us. And it's not that that fixes anything, but it makes it different. The third section of the book, though, is is actually written for support people and and what can you do and how can you help and also give some acknowledgement. You want so much to be helpful and to take somebody's pain away and you know that you can't, but that makes us feel really frantic. So my hope is that as a grieving person, you can hand this book over to them and be like, section three. Just read that, <laughs> do what she says. I'm so grateful that this book is going to exist in the world. Me I mean, too. it exists, but it's going to yeah. be out there. And We never told anybody what it's called. Uh, it's called It's Okay That You're Not Okay, Meeting Grief and Loss in a Culture That Doesn't Understand. And when will people be able to get their hands on it? It is on pre-order on Amazon right now, but it actually comes out on October 1st. October 1st. So yeah, I'm just, thank you for writing that book. Yeah. Um, It's pretty much everything we've ever talked about on Dear Dougie in one book format. So listeners out there, if you want to hear more from Megan, I'll include the link to our previous Dear Dougie episode and also a link to her website, Refuge and Grief, which is fantastic. And you can learn a lot more about all the great work that she's doing to create um, containers and permission and allowance for grieving people all around the world. So thank you again, Megan. Thanks for having me. And thanks everyone for listening today. If you want to find um, more about Dear Dougie or the Dougie Center, you can find us at dougy.org. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter, not Instagram yet, but one day. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.